0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Voice of 5G podcast. Janina here, and I don't have any Paul with me this time. Uh, He's gone on vacation for a couple of days. Uh, But we managed to do this interview before uh, with uh, Marie Hogan, who's head of mobile broadband and IoT, and with uh, Thomas O'Rian, who is now head of uh, dedicated networks here at Ericsson. And uh, today, our topic is uh, cellular IoT and dedicated networks. And we'll give you an update. And just so everyone remembers, IoT equals the Internet of Things, which means basically connecting devices instead of smartphones. And uh, if you want uh, a more in-depth overview of the different Types of IoT or different flavors of IoT. I recommend you listen to episode 12 or a podcast where Marie was in and described a lot more about uh, these different areas like critical IoT, massive IoT, and what is what. And now let's jump over to this really, really interesting interview in an area that fascinates at least me. Over to Thomas. Mann. So, today we have returning guests in our podcast. Uh, We have Murray Hogan, Head of Mobile Broadband and IoT, and you were in our episode 12, an early guest in this podcast uh, in the episode called 5G and IoT. Hi, Marie.
1: Great, it's uh, lovely to be back, I must say. Yeah, thank you. you I must
0: say that that episode was uh, one of the most popular in that uh, part of our series. It was quite early, but you were, you were spiking. So, it, it was a, an interesting topic for our listeners, obviously. And the same thing actually happened when we had Thomas on last y- year. Thomas Norén, uh you were in our final episode of 2019, the episode number 43, where we talked about the 5G year of 2019. And that was also a spiking episode, who had, uh, which had a lot of listeners. Hi, Thomas.
2: Hello. Great to be back. Hi, Janina.
0: It's great to have you. And I should also say that Thomas is now head of Dedicated Networks. So you have changed your role uh, between these podcasts. So you will talk about other things in this one.
3: Um, um, and that means, of course, 2020 is going to be the year of Dedicated Networks.
0: <laughs> Does that mean that? <laughs> you actually reached out to us to talk to, to wanting to be on the podcast now we are so interested why why do you want to be on the podcast again what is it you want to tell us
1: shall i go first or <laughs> yeah so uh, i guess this is um i mean this is a very hot area with a lot of things happening so Uh, Even if I was back on on episode 12, um, that seems like a long time ago now in the world of 5G and IoT. And I think, um, you know, there have been many developments over the the last year and a half. So I think it would be nice to uh, have an update, perhaps, on what's happening in the uh, massive IoT area, which we were talking about in the 4G context, and then what's coming um, in 5G now that we've ruled out 5G. Uh, across the globe what happens next because when
0: you were on i mean 5g wasn't even rolled out (laughs) imagine that (laughs) there was no real 5g network uh out there with uh, you know smartphones and everything that came in april and you were in our podcast in january that's amazing (laughs) so things must have happened
1: Yeah, well, a lot of hard work, I think, probably happened <laughs> <That was laughs> last on. So um, uh, many, many people working, of course, to roll out our first, uh, you know, global 5G networks with non-standalone um, functionality. So they're tied to LTE as an anchor point and, and it gives you better coverage and we can combine it with the high data rates that you can additionally get from 5G and lower latency, et cetera. So, um, yeah, so we we'll have been very busy rolling that out globally, um, Ericsson has. And uh, now we start to look at this year what we call standalone 5G. So this Ooh, means, yeah. yeah, so this is a- another form of 5G, if you like, where you decouple it a little bit from LTE and you can run all of the 5G, control plane, data plane, user plane, over, over 5G technology as such. And from a, you know, IoT perspective or, or a general user experience perspective, of course, that means you get a, an excellent experience from a point of view of latency and access to very high data rates. Mm-hmm. And so that does well,
0: that, that a, have a, a big impact on the IoT area, the, the standalone th- in itself.
1: Yeah, so I think what, what we um, are uh, working on from the five G standalone, one thing that comes with standalone is end to end slicing. Um, so that sounds a bit like a sort of a, a chef's kind of terminology, <laughs> but uh, if, you, if you talk if you take a network, a mobile network, and there's a core network part, and there's radio access network, and there's you know various components all the way down to the devices. Whether that's your smartphone or your sensor or your you know device in a car or in a, in a robot in a factory. Um, now we will be able to um, sort of split up the capability of the network from the top to the bottom, if you I like. Mean. We've been able to do that in four G with RAN uh, access network, but um, now with SA, you can have a slice that runs all the way from core network down to the devices. And what that means is these very high end use cases with time critical communication demands, you can um, ring fence what's needed for those from a, a processing and capability point of view. So they're better secured and they're better. Um, you're you're more able to deliver that guaranteed um, performance indicator, if you mm-hmm. like, that's associated with those advanced use cases. Or even if you don't talk about the super advanced, you can split the network into mobile broadband mm-hmm. and then fixed wireless slice. You could have a slice for an industry, you could have a local slice, perhaps. For a local area need, so it um, it enable us enables us to build the Lego blocks that are needed for these different use cases. Yes.
3: The developments in in standalone and the opportunities it provides for enterprises uh, with uh, critical IoT and those things that all presumes that you that the enterprise has a five G network and that's where dedicated networks comes in, presumably.
2: So, Thomas. Yes, and I, yes, and I think the the interesting thing now we have that. Um, we have rolled out Fagi since a lot more since we last spoke the applications have been basically mobile broadband you know better and greater experience on on smartphones and and similar devices and a little bit of fixed wireless access added also of course uh, as a matter of fact that's going quite rapidly but faG was devi- you know was designed in addition to serve a lot of other types of use cases that goes beyond that. And many of those use cases we believe will be in uh, confined wide area uh, network areas or in in, uh, local areas. Mm. And that is why we have also created a new unit in Ericsson, dedicated networks, to make sure that we can deliver uh, very well pre-integrated and packaged solutions for industries that need to build their own networks, where the macro networks are simply uh, not doing the job enough. And that can be for various reasons. Maybe they don't have enough coverage. Maybe the bandwidths are not there. Maybe it's very difficult for the mobile uh, network operators to build their local networks. There are various reasons why uh, enterprises want to build dedicated networks. Mm -hmm. But they are Um coming now.
0: And that is your new role, head of dedicated uh, networks. Is this the same as uh, private networks that we've talked about before?
2: No, so we uh, we put together all the Ericsson solutions that are relevant for uh, dedicated networks. So private networks were part of that. Uh, we also have a solution called Industry Connect, which is a super uh, uh, hard package solution that are made for reselling. So an operator can resell a network to, uh, for example, a, a factory or a warehouse or uh, a similar venue where uh, the uh, enterprise wants to uh, acquire the network uh, complete itself. Mm-hmm. So we have different models for different uh, different applications or deployment scenarios. Okay.
0: Uh, and now you are... Uh, You are working also we've seen some uh, some interesting uh, demos that you've done uh, in this 5G and IoT area. I'm thinking uh, like uh, that we've done in uh, is it in Aachen with the Audi and others. So uh, tell us a little bit how how is it progressing now with with the the massive or, or industrial IoT in that area?
2: So we have we have multiple uh, deployments already. Uh, So for what you mentioned now with Audi was was of course uh, related to what Marie said before, uh, industries want to go to uh, standalone and 5G core. So we are pushing for that. And I think there is a great demonstration how we can implement that with Audi. Uh, But we have also other Deployments. We have done it with Mercedes uh, in Germany. We've done it with uh, BMW and BMW in, in Germany. We are actually with all the three major core manufacturers in, in Germany. I think it really shows the huge interest from from industry in general and Germany in particular to mm. uh, you know address new use cases.
0: Yeah, those Germans—they're always uh, eager to monitor and uh, make things safe. Darn it. Yeah.
2: Yeah, but we are doing it elsewhere too. You know, we are we are deploying systems now for all French nuclear power plants. Uh, we are building it in multiple uh, ports. Uh, we are uh, uh, building it with uh, harbor in harbors. So uh, we do it in airports, a uh, number of different industry verticals mm. that want to have a dedicated network.
0: Yeah. And is it always uh, a network slice, or is it al- also working on on previous generations? Or, yeah, I mean, previous generations, I guess, can also have network slices. It's not, is it, how connected is it to 5G? Do you need to have 5G?
2: So most deployments today are on 4G, because that's where mm-hmm. the greatest device support is. But Ericsson's implementation of 4G and 5G is so elegant that you can actually move your uh, you can transition your network from 4G to 5G in an extremely smooth way with spectrum sharing. So even uh. if you start with 4G, you can continue with with, uh, with 5G. So most the deployments today are in 4G, but and most of the deployments today are are also providing additional service li- services like push-to-talk and, and uh, sim- uh, services like that. So you can replace and rip out old communication systems that you don't need anymore. And all of a sudden, you get an ultra-modern future-proof network on your uh, on your site or for your company that can support video, that can support broadband, that can support AR and VR in the future, uh, and, of course, leverage all the great things that uh, Marie brings out.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Marie, you al- already started talking a little bit about, like, the why then 5G, so to say, what, what's the... Uh, what's the reason why we want uh, IoT and five G? And I guess uh, the the answer there was the both the bandwidth and the the possibility of managing it in a easy way. Do you want to elaborate yes, a little bit mean, on that?
1: <laughs> sure, sure. I mean that's that's of course uh, one part you you get. I mean there's no. Um, Uh, way around the fact that you just get access to huge amounts of new spectrum when you use 5G in millimeter wave or in these higher bands um, above 2.6 gigahertz, for example, you get a lot of bandwidth and consequently a lot of capacity and, and uh, higher speed potential, but um, I think it's important, of course. And, and Thomas just uh, mentioned it there as well about the smooth migration. When we talked before, we talked a lot about massive IoT. You know, you have sensors for tracking or logistics or simple monitoring, and um, those use cases that are deployed now are being deployed now in four G. Those are um, built to coexist in the same bands with five G. So if you have a FDD spectrum today with a massive IoT sensor working for narrowband IOT for example and then you put 5G on that band with ESS then that massive IOT use case will still continue to work. So I think that's an important thing to maybe point out for those that might be concerned <clears throat> about whether those use cases from 4G could uh, could could work together with the 5G network. Yeah. Um, but, but then if we, if we want to say something about what's different on, with 5G apart from the access to new spectrum um, Something uh, some of our listeners probably will have heard a lot of reference to is what we call URLLC. And essentially, there is a very low latency aspect, but we have low latency in our 4G and 5G networks already. So we'd say extremely low latency. But the really unique part, I think, is what we call ultra-reliability. And that basically means supporting what we call time-critical communications. So if you can deliver a message or a piece of data with great consistency at a certain you know, um, time window between robots on an assembly line, for example, or for extreme gaming, for example, um, and guarantee that delivery, then that gives you a whole new set of use cases you can address, really. Um, for, for example, haptic feedback, if you want to take, um, we're doing some projects with Volvo construction in Sweden, and if you want to take maybe a worker out of a potentially dangerous situation you could have a remotely controlled um digger or or some piece of heavy construction heavy construction equipment operated remotely and the driver has the same sensation as actually physically driving that that piece of machinery and that can only be done with really fast feedback times and consistent you know delivery of data to get that same sensation so uh one example of what we can do there
0: Fascinating. Uh, so I was <laughs> just looking at the, the email we got uh, uh, the other day here. Thank you everyone for sending us emails about with questions and comments. And this was very timely. Uh, we got a, a listener email uh, from Mark. Uh, he asked some general questions about what are the biggest pain points? Uh, Uh, when uh, delivering, when working with drones and uh, when it comes to 5G and IoT. Should I say something about that? Uh, uh, He said, is there a need for for routine security checks of tower and antennas? Uh, uh, How how is this working? I think it was quite a, a generic question. He's interested in this area. Uh, of using IoT for for site maintenance, but also drones. And you just mentioned uh, that this, uh, this sending of, uh, I mean, this is part of the massive IoT, where you send a lot of data from, from a drone or from a camera. So do you have any good advice to Mark?
1: Yeah, so... Maybe I I can say a few things. Um, So we have, um, I suppose this is maybe a little bit beyond massive IoT. It's what we call broadband IoT, more like a mobile broadband, higher speed connection in a drone. And uh, for sure, we, we have a lot of uh, use cases that would run on 4G even um, for site maintenance or security checks, et cetera. Um, and that's maybe more of a wide area use case. And then, but if you come to local area type of deployments, there's a lot of uh, potential then for drones as well. Um, uh, to you know, maybe delivery locally in a, in a sort of a larger industrial site, or to monitor for security reasons. And I suppose uh, challenges with drones are, or you know, UAVs in general, is, is the way we build networks today. You focus on you know addressing things on the ground, your mobile phone as you walk around. But drones, of course, are in the air, so we need to do some adaptation of the radio link and the environment and. Um, The technology is really moving along there we have some really fun use cases we're looking at with uh, drone racing i didn't even know this was a thing until quite recently Uh, you should look it up great videos on youtube um high-speed racing where you operate a drone from the ground but the idea with 5g is you could put a camera on that drone and then feel like you're driving it it's uh, it's very futuristic (gasps) Um, wow so (laughs) there's a lot of potential for Super high-speed data and extremely fast reaction times. If you take a, a gaming type of scenario as well, like um, gaming
0: in real life. Wow.
1: Yeah, immersive gaming. I think yeah. So, <laughs> and I think there's, and of course that puts a huge amount of demand on our networks and and whether they're local area or wider area scenarios. Um, but uh, the potential is there. So we're working on uh, you know how we how we can uh, support those in a, in a wider area and local area context. But um, Yes, uh, Thomas, I guess maybe there is uh, some things in the the, uh, local area as well, right? In drones, quite a lot of opportunities.
2: Uh, Absolutely. I mean, you can think of many cases. I mean, you don't, as you said, you don't only have flying objects. I think you can have other objects that you want to uh, operate uh, remotely. I mean, just imagine in a mine. If you don't need to be uh, in the machines or down in the mine, and you can operate your machines uh, remotely, then that would be much safer for people. The work environment would be much better. Uh, you would uh, be able to operate the the mine much uh, much more efficiently because you don't need to ventilate out all the fumes after you have had the blast. So you can you can you can see a lot of economic benefits from from doing that. Uh, But that requires, of course, that you have, you know, remote control capability with very high uh, reliability and uh, short latency, uh, as you mentioned. Uh, A lot of these things, I think that where which companies want to do is it's it's for increased productivity, but it's also for enhanced worker safety and better Mm -hmm. working environments. And we have seen that in, in many cases, that this is, this is happening more and more.
3: So in practice, we're going to be turning a lot of construction jobs into office jobs. <laughs> yeah.
0: D- driving remote uh, uh, big diggers and stuff like that, you mean, Paul?
3: Yeah, driving remote, uh, digging up the street. If you're using a, if you're using a digger, you can, be, you can be sat in an office somewhere controlling the digger remotely. Or as you say, working in a mine could mean going into the office to work in the mine.
1: Mm. Exactly. And the whole safety aspect, then, of course, is, is hugely enhanced. Um, actually, can I mention one thing um, on the, the, the safety and I suppose su- sustainability as well? Um, there's another project we had been working on, Serexon, on road safety um, with uh, uh, Vic Roads in Australia, and Lexus Australia was the, the car, um, uh, together with Telstra and uh, there there were a lot of um interesting use cases about how uh you can uh, assist the driver to you know uh, detect brake brake lights uh, ahead or to uh, get some information about uh, road hazards that were coming up or information on weather and the information was going from the car to the network back to the next car or just information from the network and the the ambition there um is uh, from the Australian side is to have you know zero road deaths within Mm -hmm. a certain uh, number of years and and uh, I think that's something that uh, 4G already can help with um, from a data sending point of view but 5G can enhance even more you can get more and more assistance and from a sustainability point of view if you knew when you're driving your car there was a big traffic jam on road x and you could take road y then you know you save time to work you save Petrol fumes. <laughs> I guess there, there are many, many benefits when we can assist our daily lives uh, by by getting more data on on how things work or where to go or you know.
0: Yeah, for sure. Opt- and and I, I saw that the it was quite futuristic that uh, what what they have uh, uh, demoed there uh, down under uh i mean that that you get warnings for bicyclists coming from the side or from your blind side and 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 uh, so on uh i mean it's it's a uh, it's almost like a glimpse into the future but they are actually uh, doing it right now right
1: Yes, I've seen the way my sixteen year old drives his moped, so I think I would, <laughs> I, I would be quite enthusiastic about having a you know a sensor on the helmet and um, and uh, having that information relayed to the the neighbor's car as he comes around the corner. Um, and and I mean those those demos, those use cases we we are already showing in our Ericsson studio here, even in um, in uh, Shista, as well. Mm. So uh, many many uh, good opportunities.
0: Yeah, when. Uh... We have talked about uh, now safety uh, when it comes to to what IoT can give, and I must say also that the 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 robot uh, demo I saw that we did together with Audi was also it it like stopped immediately if someone came close. So it's like it's all about worker safety and those kinds of things that you can do when they are um, uh, reacting to to their environment. Uh, uh but uh, thomas i wanted to ask you is there any security risks what what do people need to think about when it is when it uh, comes to doing these uh, uh dedicated networks and connecting uh, connecting big machinery for instance
2: right. I, I think the the networks they help to to solve security uh, problems, rather, or safety problems. Mm -hmm. Even if you have self-driving machines in confined areas, as you have now in some uh, uh, airfields and so forth. um, And of course, some of the car makers are looking into doing that also wide area. It maybe hasn't developed as quickly as many had hoped for uh, five years ago. But even when that happens and uh, is developed, you would typically want to be able to control uh, a vehicle um, from remotely, also because the vehicle can end up in a situation which is hasn't been programmed for, or you want to resolve some other uh, conflicts uh, that is you know might end up in. And for safety reasons, of course, you want to be able to take control of a of a vehicle that is going by itself. Mm. So I think the rather than um, Causing a security risk, I think it enhances it. Similarly, you have, the, you know, we see a lot of uh, cases where you want to uh, connect um, um, uh, equipment that uh, that the uh, workers are wearing or on their helmets or uh, in their uh, in their on their equipment that keeps on connecting, keep, keeping checking the status of people, making sure that they you can see what in, with a camera, a remote camera. Uh, where they are that can be very very useful for many people who are uh, to enhance the safety of for many people who are in working in hazardous environments so we believe that this is going to enhance security immensely for many people
0: mm-hmm. and when it comes to the the we, we have talked about this before is there a difference uh, between the different technologies uh, when it comes to cellular IoT or other wireless solutions uh, or is there o- other reasons to why why uh, companies out there should go uh, with cellular instead of Wi-Fi and, and other technologies? And that's a,
2: yeah, that's a good question, of course. So the um, Wi-Fi industry is, of course, also developing and uh, you know, supporting a lot of future use cases also. Now, cellular has one very important advantage, and uh, that is that it's operating on, on uh, licensed uh, spectrum bands. Which means that nobody can come in and interfere with the radio signal and cause havoc in the systems. And for that reason, uh, secondly, the the devices in cellular uh, networks are very carefully and stringently um, uh, certified, whereas in Wi-Fi, that is uh, more of a uh, not as rigorous, I would say. So often you can end up in getting in devices in a Wi-Fi system that are not exactly following the standards in the absolute latest way. And therefore, for many of the industrial use cases or where it's very important to ma- maintain a high degree of, of security, uh, um, the cellular systems make more sense than, uh, because they operate, operate in licensed band than, than, the, than Wi-Fi.
3: Thomas, you, t- you talked there about about uh, the devices and uh, the, the, the things that you, you need to actually use the system. Obviously, if you're running a factory or if you're using some use cases, it, it won't work until you've got devices integrated into your equipment. What's the situation today? Or maybe this is maybe Marie can answer this as well. What's the situation today when it comes to devices for um, cellular IoT on 5G?
2: Well, most of the environments that where you would have a dedicated network, of course, have already machinery or other devices in in place. And we are not talking about ripping those out and just we we are rather talking about retrofitting them with uh, gateways or devices. And there are a number of companies that that develop those. We have a rich uh, ecosystem on devices also um, that develop um, that develop devices for these kind of applications, and of course, you also need to interoperate with established industry standards for uh, uh, industry internet standards and OT infrastructure. And there are multiple of our partners that have developed devices that can convert between the, the uh, established uh, industry communication protocols. Uh, to 5G and run them over 5G or 4G, mm. so I think that's a big help. You can retrofit an existing um, factory or mine or port or air fi- airport, and then uh, gradually, uh, you know, add more devices that directly support 4G or 5G.
0: Mm. And just to go into details, then uh, is it like is it uh, I guess you. You can reuse the same devices on, on 4G, and they can actually use the 5G band. Uh, is it like uh, do you need to upgrade them, or how do you how do you use the same devices on different uh, generations of uh, mobile networks? Perhaps that's a question for Marie.
1: Yeah, so that depends, of course, on the spectrum, right? the, mm. the, what bands you have available to use. So if it's uh-huh. yeah, so if it's a similar band for 4G and for 5G, then you can reuse that device. Um, uh, as long as it's five G capable, um, and uh, if it's new bands, you know millimeter wave, for example, then of course four G devices were never built to to operate there. So what we're doing, um, we we work very closely with um, if you if you kind of break it down below the device level, the chipsets that go into the devices. There is uh, many devices and a lot of OEMs, but there are not so many chipsets. Uh, companies. So we work with all of the big chipset um, vendors and we try to build our roadmaps together and align what functionality goes in and how we migrate and how you, you know, add things into the network. So we plan together. So there's a big under the hood operation always going on to build that full ecosystem. You need that. The chipsets and then you put the devices around those if they're smartphones or if they're you know robotics or whatever and uh, we're working very hard now to sort of see how we uh, evolve an aligned path because obviously if we build something on the network side that's not much good if we don't have a, a chipset to put into a device that works with that so um and uh, so we have a very large iodt program interoperability testing program with all of those various chipsets and then moving to the device
0: so uh the moment this is getting both explored and uh, it's getting rolled out I guess uh, as well do you have any new cases uh, or new uh, like where 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 you see cellularity I don't know happening first is there anything that's going on right now that's uh, that's uh, new and breaking <laughs>
1: i I could take the, the wider area and thomas take the local area maybe so we don't uh talk about the same things um mm-hmm. so for for a kind of wider area we see a, a lot of interest in um uh, what we call xr so um extended reality with uh maybe that's kind of uh, use cases like virtual um reality for for extreme gaming or you could uh, imagine that type of virtual reality scenario to be used in healthcare and and education, even particularly in in the recent times where everybody is uh, is at home with this pandemic that's ongoing. You could see a lot of use cases that uh, could have been uh, great um, to use there and home education. Uh, you know those type of use cases. So for a wider area, we see a, a very big interest in getting a lot more data and faster reaction times to enable this kind of virtual augmented reality scenarios and then maybe also in the, the wider area side um, uh, utilities so smart grids starting with maybe smart meters in the home we're rolling out 2 million or so of those already in Sweden at mm-hmm. the moment and um, so you know that sends data periodically with information on, on the, you know everything from usage of the of the uh, energy to, to maybe needs for maintenance um, and then you can uh, uh, see that building up to uh, exchange of, of energy across a grid in real time and things like that. So um, I'd say utilities, uh, transportation in a sort of wider area and and perhaps extreme reality type of scenarios. Wow. Mm-hmm.
2: I think in the local area, I think we shouldn't forget the great opportunity you have with just replacing old land mobile radio systems, Tetra networks and, and other old technologies that, have, you know, very expensive devices uh, that were built only for those um, those um, technologies, uh, or devices that don't really support video or more advanced communication in the future. And I think just by ripping, you know, replacing those with 4G and 5G networks in the local area enables you to achieve great cost savings and future-proof mm-hmm. your network. And I think that's an improve you know the communication needs that are already there today, and I think that's a good immediate reason for the top enterprises to, to invest in dedicated networks ah. going forward then I think you you know we had one interesting study recently with one of the German automakers where they saw they they looked at uh you know fifty thousand square meter uh, factory and they were you know, they looked at if they invested 50 million euros over that, over five years, they could have between 15 and 20 times the number of sensors that they would have otherwise. And they would achieve cost savings over over the time period over 500 million euros. So uh, that was driven mainly by three things. One was that they could improve the way they can deploy robotics. Uh, they would get better inventory management uh, because they can keep track of things and uh, much more efficiently. And they c- they can also do condition-based monitoring by connecting the, uh, all the equipment so they could forecast in, in, in advance when do they need to do um, uh, replacements or when do they need to do uh, service on different equipment, so they can keep the factory running much more efficiently,
3: mm. and I think
2: that's that's that had a huge impact, of course, on their total gross profit for for this manufacturing plant. So we see we see it. If if I would summarize, I would say the immediate reason uh, companies invest now is to replace their old stuff that they have and make mm. those networks future proof, and then they see a host of different cool applications coming in the future. That will further improve the business case for them.
0: Yeah, I can see that. I mean, it's not like uh, mobile networks will uh, go away. They look to be here to stay. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> or what do you say? <laughs> so, I guess future proofing is a is a big point when it comes to these kinds of of technologies, both for for devices and for for the network capabilities, uh, right?
2: Yes. <laughs> <Yes>. Paul.
0: <laughs> you wanna
1: We fully we fully agree
0: with you? Yeah, yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah. You, you put it so well, Janina.
0: <laughs> okay. Um then uh, what do you want people to do? What do you want from the people out there now? This is a okay. new question that we started asking our guests actually. What is it that you well, want
2: from people? Well, if, if if I had a company today. I would, I would turn to my, uh, to my operator and say, look, I want to upgrade. I want to digitalize what I'm doing. I want to achieve. I want to drive automation. I want to make the work environment safer and for my employees. I'm actually wanting to, to explore new ways of doing things so I can, I can evolve my business models also. Can you help me? You know, tell me can you offer me uh, a dedicated network? Preferably for Merrickson of course, but you know, just <laughs> offer me a dedicated network. Because I've seen all these cases now and I I want to invest to do this. Can we work out the plan for for how we can I can improve my business? I want to be future proof.
0: We had uh, our our strategy team here uh, just uh, in in the previous podcast talking a lot about uh, how uh, how uh, service providers can uh, well what they need to change to be able to to service uh, different enterprises uh, in this area. So I guess this is sort of like going into into that dialogue, Paul.
3: Yeah, I think uh, I think this is actually quite a good complement to the discussion that we had last time. Last time we were talking about the strategically what should CSPs, uh, what operators, be thinking about um, for moving their business more into the enterprise space uh, and here I think we're talking about like what are the requirements of the enterprise and what can the technology do for the enterprise and, and you know this This whole market area will will succeed when those two pieces come together that that the enterprise see the opportunities for them from cellular networks and the operators see the opportunities that they can deliver on when they go out and talk to enterprises and put in place the capabilities that they need.
1: Hmm. I think it's important for um, all of these businesses and you know uh, people looking at how to improve their businesses or, or the future. I think it's important to uh, learn about what 5G can offer. It's not just a buzzword or what leader IoT or 3GPP based networks can offer from 4G to 5G and there are many uh, different um, ways of delivering what is needed to make a business more digital and sustainable and optimise it and I think the opportunities are vast with 4G and, and 5G networks, um, so it's, it's very important to keep this education part uh, going as well to, to learn about what, what the future can hold. Um, there's a lot of uh, good papers actually on the Ericsson website, uh, I think as well, if, if people would like to, to read up just generally, whether it's an app developer or a, you know, a business leader, I think uh, one of the more recent ones is published in our Ericsson review. Uh, for critical iot connectivity and um, there are lots of good links in there you can click on examples and even some youtube videos and uh, get inspired what what we can do for you
3: yeah i, I think there's also on the, if, if you go to the website there's also a lot of good uh reference cases and examples of of industries actually you know, yes. trialing or deploying or rolling out everything from the, the mining that thomas has talked about to the things happening in factories in in utilities or you know a very wide spectrum of of, uh, of cases that you can go in and look at and read and get an idea of maybe, you know, what could um, the Internet of Things and cellular be doing for your business?
0: Yeah, so good point. We'll uh, we'll link to it also in the show notes uh, uh, of this episode. Uh, this week, actually, we have also launched the the latest figures in uh, Ericsson Mobility Report, and there we also have uh, a special section on Internet of Things, IoT. Uh, And I guess they have, you've seen some new numbers. What's happening out there, Marie?
1: So I think we see cellular IT, IoT uh, continuing to grow and to uh, get more and more traction in the market. Um, We have about one, we can see one billion so, cellular IoT connections today, whether they be uh, massive IoT or, or broadband IoT or you know GSM 3G connections. And uh, during 2019, we could say our massive IoT connections are uh, probably around treble, so there's some real traction there. By 2025, we would expect around 5.2 billion cellular IoT connections, and about 50% of those would be massive IoT. So, even the mm. even basic use cases continue to grow and be extremely important
0: yeah and actually our forecasts uh, continue to grow as well right so that, that is uh, it is looking looking like more and more uh, are getting their eyes open for this uh, cellular iot area
1: so now, now we are saying 5.2 billion cellular iot okay. connections by 2025 um mm-hmm. and we that's up from a 1 billion cellular iot connections today mm-hmm. and then we could also say that the massive iot so narrowband and cat m connections have, have about trebled during 2019 so there is definitely growth there so they're mm-hmm. at around 100 million connections now and um of those cellular iot connections we predict by 2025, this 5.2 billion, we would expect around 52% of those actually to be massive IoT. So those simple use cases or initial use cases Mm. will continue to grow and will be very important.
0: Lovely to see. And thank you so much Thomas and Marie for, for being at our podcast, in our podcast, talking about this highly interesting and fascinating topic of IoT and dedicated networks.
2: Take care, everyone. Thank 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 you for listening out
0: there. Thank you, and
2: bye. Bye. Bye-bye.